What are we going to call the episode? The Whirly Boy something or other? No, no name, just title. <laughs> no name, just title. Uh, no. Oh, Lord. You're going to do the intro, though, because I'm uh, going to talk for most of it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to uh, the Icing Bunker podcast. Um, this is season five, episode three. Um, we're a little bit low on numbers tonight, um, by virtue of uh, members of the team travelling and uh, doing all sorts. Um, so it is just myself, uh, Defence Geek, and Icing Technical tonight uh, are going to be talking. Um, it probably means this episode will be a little bit shorter than usual, but um, hopefully we should have a guest with us for next episode. Um, with some good insights on uh, the topic we have planned, but I, I won't say anything more about that than that for now. Um, yeah, so, he hasn't even told me at this point what it's going to be about, so hey! <laughs> I mean, technically doesn't I'm, read our group chat very often, so, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I basically, when a bunch of people message me saying, you're ten minutes late for the podcast, you know, that's that's when I pay attention to the group chat, but, but until that point, I think... Yeah, there's there's a bit of ignorance on my end. Yeah, it, it's been a, a few weeks since um, we last recorded an episode, and um, yeah, again, what can I say? Life has been a little bit overwhelming for all of us. Um, there's been a few interesting things of note, um, particularly Ukraine in the last sort of couple of weeks. We've obviously had the first anniversary of the uh, sort of Russian invasion last February um, and sort of the, uh, the various announcements and speeches and stuff that have come out of that um, I think we're going to cover sort of a brief bit around the anniversary of the Ukraine conflict tonight and um, probably also do a little bit of more in-depth focus on some of some of what's been going on on the ground See, this is this is where I hijack John talking and basically just say you know, the one-year anniversary was really, really underwhelming from the Russian perspective. Hmm. They they did really not announce... But I mean, Putin, of course, you know, did his standard speeches and rallies and, you know, various appearances. Um, but they didn't really change that much. Um, they, they kind of were, you know, still in the same place that they were a few weeks ago. Um, at least rhetorically. Um... They've made, you know, gains in the Bakhmut area basically by throwing people at Ukrainian positions, which appears to be the new, you know, general Russian strategy, because frankly, at this point, they're just running out of of frontline units or or correction uh, in the places where they still have frontline units. They're also just throwing them at Ukrainian positions like in Vuladar, which we, you know, have, I think, talked about a bit the last episode, but, you know. Mm continuing to basically just throw lines of Russian armored vehicles into Ukrainian minefields and ambushes um, doesn't make for retaining the most ready frontline units, um, especially since the few remaining units that were at some level of strength um, in the area kind of uh, are no longer at strength because of the, those those attacks. Um but yeah, no, generally that that one year anniversary was just very underwhelming from the Russian, you know, rhetoric point of view. Um, I, I they they've begun, at least over the past more six months, to position themselves, position it as, you know, us versus the West, which, it, it, again, is more of a traditional thing. But there was some 
very cringy stuff at one of the rallies where they had reenactors from, you know, major Russian wars in Europe, um, you know, uh, 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 between I think they had the Napoleonic Wars. Um, they had, um, I think, World War One, World War Two. There might have been another one. I think it might have been the Crimean War as well, where they had, you know, reenactors from that period on stage um, with the with the singers. Um basically trying to position this as, you know, this is our historic war against Europe and, you know, we've won all of them. Um, and, you know, this is this is going to be us winning again. Um, sort of sort of ignoring the fact that they were, you know, allied in World War Two and and for part of World War One uh, with several Western powers um, before leaving World War One because of a internal revolution. Not not the communist one, the, the first one. Then then the communist revolution happened. Um, but I, I, I definitely think there, there is that, you know, that, that they're, they're really hyping that aspect up, um, in, in somewhat of an entertaining way at some levels. Um, but I mean, at this point, you know, that's, that's, that's their MO for, for where they're, where they're going, at least rhetorically. Um, but apart from that, yeah, just, just not much, no, no massive attacks, no new offensive, I know some people were, you know, trying to say that the Russians would possibly, you know, retry an attack through Belarus, you know, at some point during the anniversary or, or at some point around the anniversary. And that looks highly unlikely as well. Um, though the Ukrainians have taken the threat seriously and have sort of reinforced the border area, um, mostly with hard positions, less less forces, more more stopgap forces, but but a lot of hard constructed positions. Um, yeah, and, and I, I, I definitely think there's just there because of that, you know, underwhelming point of view, the Ukrainians were able to, to take it and not run so much as a victory lap, but, but definitely harp on the fact that, you know, people thought they wouldn't last three days and, you know, it's mm. been a year and now it's been a year and change. Um, and they, they've had several successful counteroffensives. They've, you know, they've retaken territories, the initial Russian invasion, I mean, you know, all the videos I saw, you know, shared from those those first days were, you know, it, it definitely brought back how much the Russians messed up the first few days of the invasion. Um, I just I mean, Kharkiv alone. I mean, at this, at this point, the, the year and the, the year ago that the Russians were stuck outside of Kiev um, with with VDV forces taking extremely heavy casualties. Um but, you know, the first few days in Kharkiv, you had Russian units kind of just running around and getting ambushed um, by a mix of Ukrainian regular forces, TF, you know, whatever units were in the area. Um, and the Ukrainians were, were conducting just this masterclass in in flexible defense. Um, and, you know, even even in, in Chernihiv and, and other areas where Ukrainian units were completely cut off, um, they were they were able to hold their own and, and you know, cause extreme trouble for Russian rear area units. Um, and on top of that as well, Ukrainian rear area actions against Russian transport infrastructure and and other other, you know, rear area units absolutely hamstrung their abilities to uh, to move forward. I think was it the 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 40 kilometer long uh, traffic jam that people were calling a convoy, um, mm. which was stuck outside of Kiev for a few days there um, about a year ago now. Um, I mean, it just Russian logistics were not great, um, and but but it, more of anything, it was 
the Ukrainian capability to conduct that fighting defense. Um, even if they had were forced to retreat, they were they were holding in areas where they knew they could hold. And I think again that will be studied for years and years and years to come. Um, those those initial days of the war, um, because again at the at the time the Ukrainians were mostly fighting with what they had on hand. Mm. Um, there were there were not that many um, Western systems. I mean, sure there was basically some javelins, some in laws, uh, a, a limited number of you know other capabilities that were quickly quickly rushed to the front, but nothing really hard. And so they were they were fighting with what was ostensibly you know much less um, than the Russians. The Russians had were at their strongest at the time. The Ukrainians were probably at their weakest. Um, and yeah. so we just saw you know this this great disparity that was overcome through good tactics at the end of the day it doesn't doesn't really matter how how good your your capabilities are if you aren't really able to use them properly in the field and i think it's interesting uh, while we're talking about the first anniversary that we've kind of seen particularly with putin's speech his sort of major speech to the nation on the first anniversary that there's definitely been a, a as you say a shift in rhetoric um you know, a year ago, it was all about the special military operation to, to free Ukraine. And as you quite rightly said, it, it's very much moved now to this is a war against the West. Um, and I, I guess I guess it's fair to say that on, on the day of the speech, we were all kind of, we, we were discussing it, weren't we, in, in, in the OSINT group chat and sort of evaluating what we thought might be included in the in, in Putin's speech and I think there was a general feeling that there could be an announcement of a sort of a, a step up in operations or or further um you know uh what, what's the word I'm looking for not not enlistments but sort of inscription <laughs> that's the word conscription yeah. further conscriptions for the front line and I think the general consensus was that actually the, the speech contained very little of what we were expecting. It was, some of it was definitely sort of Putin's very traditional ranting about, you know, we, we the, the West have caused all of this and we, we're fighting the good fight. and, and Old so Russian man rants about the Anglos. As, 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 yeah, as he has done on so many occasions in, in, in you know, recent history. Um but I think it was interesting that, that there was definitely a shift from the whole, oh, this is a special military operation, to kind of acknowledging perhaps for the first time that, yes, this is now a war. Um, we, we've obviously had the, the, the joy of the, um, the the spoof account on Twitter, Darth Putin, um, which for those of you who don't follow it, every pretty much every single day for the last year, has tweeted a this is day whatever of my three day special military operation, and then some sort of amusing comment uh, from Putin's perspective. Um, and I do have to wonder what what the thought process is at the Kremlin now, wh whether he's kind of realised that actually this this has gone far far worse than he could ever have imagined. And I know that there's been a lot of talk in the media a few months ago and, and sort of less so more recently about whether or not there are political movements um, in the Russian sort of government as to trying to potentially remove him at some point. And I know from certainly the looks of the faces of 
many of his senior officials during his speech, which for those of you who didn't see the photos, there was some very, very uh, amusing faces and quite a few people falling asleep. It, it does make me wonder how much backing he now has within his own sort of senior leadership team, effectively. Yeah, and I, I mean, of course, there, it it was never a, a, a special military operation from day one. I mean, it was it was it was very clearly a war. Mm. Um, I I do think that there is this perspective of you know what it potentially is, um, and and you know what Putin views this as, and I I don't think, and again, I've said this a bunch of times, Putin isn't stupid. But there's a non-zero chance he might be delusional, <laughs> mm. you know, and that's 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 a dangerous combo because they're smart enough to actually put their plans into motion, um, even if the plans are pretty ill thought out. Um, and I, I, you know, strategic miscalculations. You know, you can you can put your 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 plan together and you can you know execute it. Um, but you may have really missed, you know, calculated the risks of said plan, um, which I, I think calculating out potential risks and, you know, that that whole risk versus reward thing is one of the more important elements of, of any sort of, you know, leader's job, you know, actually figuring out the nuts and bolts is a bit more, you know, after that. Um, but I, I, I do think at the end of the day, this is, you know, this is something that makes Putin dangerous. Um, he, he has this view of Russia that is, you know, sort of antithetical to the way the international system works today. Um, you, you can't just go around invading your neighbors um, and subjugating them culturally, you know, and <laughs> potentially ethnically as well, um, which I, I think at that point we get very uh, interestingly close to, you know, the G word. Um, genocide in 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 that manner. Um, I I I definitely think that it, it's it's something that's been rolling for a while now, and I think it's it's fully come out with the invasion of Ukraine. Hmm. Um, but again, a, a a sort of a series of lucky miscalculations on Putin's end, um, and uh, unwillingness to fully respond from the West. I think has sort of driven um, it to this point where Putin kept making these, what were arguably miscalculations and kept getting away with it. Um, and, and, and finally it, it sort of didn't work out for him. Yeah. And I mean, obviously the, the, it's interesting to see that the, that the propaganda machine in Russia is still obviously very much working in overdrive. And I do genuinely at this point wonder what the the Russian citizens are thinking because we've obviously seen a, a great many of them were very very much supportive particularly during the opening days of the war you know one year ago now um, how much that feeling is still there I don't know obviously Russia has suffered some pretty hefty casualties among its young men and women and that has got to have had an effect on the general population. 
um, families. Who yeah, though, though at the well. same time, you you have to remember the the communities that have been disproportionately affected by this are in the Eastern republics, which are primarily made up of ethnic minorities in Russia. Hmm. Um, those have been disproportionately affected by casualties um, in the war. Um, and if you look in you know in Western Russia, the 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 you know quote unquote European part um, has you know disproportionately seen fewer casualties hmm. um to its to its population um and so i i don't think there will be stress for that you know what is arguably the power base in russia in the west yeah um that that more civilian stress from the war until they start personally seeing those high level of casualties and they they just haven't yet yeah um i think they will if you know conscription continues to to be the main way that Russia is able to generate forces. Um, I mean, obviously there are only so many convicts you can throw at the front and, and so many people you can basically offer a bunch of money for a very high risk activity. Um, and you know, there, there are only many, only so many people in the Eastern republics that you can conscript before they start to cause issues as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, looking, looking into the future, I think that, you know, there will there will be a constant support for the war, just a constant baseline, no matter what. You know, yeah. people who are you know going back to that glory of uh, of of old Russia. You know, glory. You know, the USSR was good for for Russia and 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 for the region. Um, but there there are other people who you know when they start having people they know die in Ukraine, you know, may start to have these second thoughts, and I. I I don't know what that critical mass is. Um, it's definitely lower than Ukraine's critical mass for casualties in, yeah. and what they're willing to withstand. Because again, this is Ukraine's survival yeah. and Russia has made it fairly clear with their actions that they're willing to go far enough to basically destroy Ukraine as an idea. And I think we've definitely seen that in, you know, the one year anniversary is the Russians really do not believe Ukraine is like an entity period they'll never be able to destroy it at this point and i think mm. that that is something that the ukrainians have established yeah um but russia has made it very clear that you know their end goal is is something a bit more uh complete in 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 what they intend for ukraine yeah and and, and another point to make with with, with the, the whole thing of baseline support in russia is that I think it's fair to say, ultimately, that because the fighting has been focused in Ukraine, and for the most part, Ukraine has not really struck sort of targets within Russia itself as much, perhaps, as they would like to. The the war has felt very distant for the vast majority of the Russian civilian population. I think, and I, and I know at the moment there are discussions with the UK looking to potentially provide Ukraine with the kind of long-range strike capability that Ukraine has been asking for for some time. There is a possibility that in the coming months we may well see Ukraine take the war slightly further into Russian territory, and, and whether or not that ends up having an impact on Russian civilians, who ultimately, are, I think it's fair to say, up until now have not had to live with the same conditions as, as, as Ukrainian civilians, Ukrainian civilians obviously having daily air raid sirens and constant shelling and, and 
just that living in, in, in constant fear and expectation of, you know, the next Russian attack. Russian oh, and, and pure destruction of, of their homeland. I mean, yeah. you, you, the targeting of Ukrainian infrastructure is, is aimed at directly making the civilian population suffer. Yeah, and, and the Russians haven't had to face that prospect so far. Um, whether that changes in the coming months, as I say, with, with the potential for long-range weapon deliveries from the UK and other allies remains to be seen, and, and, and I think that could potentially have a, a major impact on public support, particularly, as you say, given that the vast majority of the Russian population are in the western half of the country. The, the possibility of the war being brought very, very, very much closer to home for them is, is something that Putin, I would imagine, is going to need to consider in the coming months. Um, in terms of what support and what, what weapons the UK and others potentially provide, I don't think any Defence Department has been too specific so far about exactly what they're intending to provide. I know It, been... it is interesting, though, because last night um, there was an attack on Belgorod um, utilizing a, a a few Ukrainian drones, or or it might have been a couple of nights ago. I need to need to double check that one. Mm. Um, or no, yeah, it was on February twenty second, March twenty seventh. It's March first now when we're recording this, just for just for a baseline. Um, but the Ukrainians sort of attached Belgorod using some some smaller drones. Um, yeah. a, a few were shot down. I'm not sure how many, or if any hit their target. But they were they were actually using. Uh, 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 British L-22A1 uh, demolition slab charges. Um, there was I, it's a fairly hefty amount of, of plastic explosives, but um, you know I, I there is the Ukrainian want um, to conduct even you know shallow strikes into Russia to to disrupt their capability to continue to conduct strikes into Ukraine. Hmm. Um, I think I think that's their number one goal at the end of the day is is reduce the russian capabilities not you know punish russian russian civilians but stop them you know from operating in ukraine or operating into ukraine in the case of stuff like you know s-300s being launched from belgorod into you know the city of kharkiv um which are highly inaccurate munitions and pretty much only serve as you know in effect terror bombing assets um but i i, I do think that there is sort of this this great interest among the both the Ukrainian public um and government to to reduce the Russian capability to do to you know strike their homeland in effect yeah and i would imagine that the west ultimately wants to support ukraine and wants to give them the ability to prevent those strikes and i i would imagine that the the politicians in 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 westminster and and, and washington are, are obviously having to weigh up the fact that yes we can give them these weapons yes they can use them to strike you know the, the the missile launchers and so on that Russia are using but the issue is that effectively once once we hand these weapons over to Ukraine it is very much to an extent up to Ukraine what they target with them and particularly with uh, as I was going to say I know there's been discussions on Twitter and and, and obviously Twitter is not uh, by any means a a good indicator of what discussions are happening um, in in government, but 
there was discussion on, on Twitter, particularly here in the UK, around whether or not Storm Shadow cruise missiles were being considered as a potential option to give to Ukraine. Now, obviously, the Storm Shadow is um, a weapon that we, we jointly developed with the French, and it, it's been a, a, a very, very useful bit of kit for us, particularly um, in places like Syria and Iraq in the last sort of five to ten years. Now, whether or not we'd be prepared to provide a weapon of that capability to Ukraine remains to be seen. And, and, and I, I would never say no in, in light of what we've seen in recent months with changes of mind and changes of heart in terms of delivery of main battle tanks and, and now even conversations being had about whether or not supplying fast jets to Ukraine is actually a, a feasible option moving forward. But I do, I do have to wonder if, if there is going to end up having to be a line drawn where we're going to have to say, well, yes, we'll provide you with something, but we're not going to provide you with our best. Because, uh, as Russia has said a number of times, and, and we've heard it from Russian officials, we've heard it from Russian state TV, their, their, their attitude is very much that if... British and American made missiles are landing in Russian territory that for them seems to be a red line now obviously that that kind of gives what, us a what, catch 22 what situation. is a red line yeah well, exactly. I mean this, this kind of gives us a catch 22 situation because Russia has said a lot of things are red lines but at the same time the the the, the UK and the US have had to very much dance this very tricky dividing line between obviously supporting Ukraine and being seen to be directly involved in the combat and Russia is true and and Russia has times about that yeah though though most of Russia's threats at this point have been um how do I put this nuclear in nature mm. uh, um they, they've they, they sort of escalated to the top of what their possible rhetoric could be with you know yes. threatening to use nuclear weapons and that has seen a solid rebuke from pretty much everyone, including China, um, which I, I think is the big one. Seeing seeing a, a complete Chinese rebuke of those threats has been um, definitely telling in, in, you know, what international or even what more Russian-friendly international uh, parties are willing to put up with. Hmm. Um, and I think, again, I don't think anyone wants nuclear war. And I, I, I absolutely think that that's very firm at this point. Um, I think the real end question, though, is, you know, whether or not, um, well, A, whether or not the Russians are willing to use nuclear weapons. Who knows? You know, I, I don't know what's happening at the top. I think the consequences of even the limited use of nuclear weapons would be so utter and complete against the Russian state from, frankly, the entire world. Um, I, I just, I, I don't think it's a reasonable area for the Russians to even threaten at this point. Hmm. Um, it would, it would be so incredibly damaging for what it would be willing to offer. Um, the it, it would just see such a level of international rebuke and and not just you know words at that point but i i you know i i i don't think anyone would just stand by then um and and putin but... has very much made itself 
it made the situation difficult for himself and for anyone who might succeed him because as you say the vast majority of the threats have been nuclear in nature he's very much gone for the escalation all the way to the top straight away and it, it, it gives him very very little room to maneuver because ultimately if he if he's seen to climb down about the nuclear threats that doesn't sit well sort of within his own leadership within his own population but at the same time it doesn't look particularly good for him on the world stage either there's like basically one there's there's one very small group of morons who like that rhetoric actually affects Hmm. and it's it's the americans that or it's it's a very small group (laughs) of westerners who argue that because russia has threatened the use of nuclear weapons we need to stand down and you know basically just hand ukraine over um which is just such a a uniquely stupid view that like i i i can't really i can't really enumerate how bad it is um but you, yeah, you know, I you know I, someone is going to quote you out of context there and just nope, leave that nope, sentence nope, ended like, with "it's the Americans." <laughs> well, I mean, and and no, it's not. I mean, it's it's kind of equally proportioned across you know a bunch of different Western countries. You know, they're Americans, they're Brits, they're you know Irish, they're you know other Europeans who. Again, I'm I'm primarily focused focused on the Anglosphere and you know people who speak darn American, um, but you know there there are definitely these groups in every country and I mean there was there was a rally in D.C. Um, you know the rally for peace which had a surprising number of Russian flags there um, and some Soviet flags as well. You know honestly that was a really weird one there, um, but I I definitely think that there is. Um, uh, the, the, there's a small subgroup of people basically that's 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 the end state there's a there's a very small subgroup of people who fall for stuff like that and i don't think they're really in positions of power anywhere so it's it's not really a political impact um so it's it's very surprising to see russia um go in that direction um and and you know at the, at the end of the day it's it's threatening it's threatening the first use of nuclear weapons against a small state which is conducted limited to almost no strikes on your country yeah like that it's just it it's shocking when you think about like standard ideas of nuclear doctrine um and you know the the whole point of we never want to use nuclear weapons if it's not essential to you know basically basically the the end of the world that no one you use nuclear weapons because no one you know no one no one gets anything um but i I suppose from the russian perspective it's it's mutually assured destruction but not completely assured because at the end of the day as as our listeners will not well know mutually assured destruction was the concept that one nuclear power threatening to nuke another nuclear power would simply result in the destruction of both. And yeah, but it's, the situation it's more the we have with Ukraine is yeah. Russia's threatening a nation that ultimately doesn't have nuclear weapons. The the fact that some time ago that was a different story is is you know I think that's for a, an entire entirely different discussion. But 
I think Russia is very well aware that obviously if it's making these threats towards Ukraine, it is doing so with relative impunity because mutually assured destruction is not a, non-existent in that case. It is only yeah. when they risk that nuclear threat spilling over the border into NATO territory or into a neutral country. Well, I, I don't I, I I I would put it so far to say as if the Russians were to utilize nuclear weapons in Ukraine just the 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 international response to the something like that happening um yeah they would they would find themselves fairly alone um in countries who would be willing to put up with that like that that's that's a known that's yeah. that's kind of very i mean the chinese made that very clear um in that they 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 view the view they they view not only the use but even the rhetoric as unacceptable yeah. Um, and, and and that to, to a certain extent is not surprising, but at, at the same time, given how no any Chinese... any sane person would say that yeah, but to, to to a certain extent, the fact that the Chinese have put up with as much as they have from Russia when it comes to Ukraine, and the fact that even China has turned round, you know, Xi Jinping's obviously turned round to Putin and said, "No, you you're getting a bit silly now." Well, I mean, in fairness, that, Putin that also held off China his invasion. I, I mean, exactly. it, yeah, I mean, because of the Winter Olympics in China. I mean, China does have clearly a lot of sway mm. over Russia um, in what they're willing to do. Um, at the same time, I, I think that current Russian leadership is open to miscalculations, as said earlier. Yeah. I don't know. The rhetoric is just, it's stupid. At the end of the day, it's, it's stupid to such a degree that like, like it's, it's, and it's almost silly. The Russians threatened it so many times that it just yeah. became, Oh, you know, I mean, there was, there was a solid month long period there where everyone was legitimately just starting to joke about the Russian nuclear threats. Yeah. Like, Oh, you know, Putin, you're going to nuke us. <laughs> it's it, like, it, it very much became a case of the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, and I, I think that's maybe why the Russians sort of laid off a bit. There also might have been some, you know, backroom posturing, you know, potentially between other powers on, on that. Um, though, who knows? Um, I think I think there's also a solid chance that the Russians just looked like morons while they were doing it. Um, but again, the, the whole the whole basis of nuclear posturing is just ridiculous. Like it's it's and it's it's so inherently threatening to like humanity, hmm. like not not just your country, not just another country, not just to, you know, your your global world order that, you know, you, you might think there is. Um, but it's like an existential threat to like life and yes. everything. Yeah. Um, and sort of holding that, you know. Hostage is definitely shocking to to a degree and and i think it comes down to a certain extent to the fact that the, the threat of you know all out nuclear war has i think it's fair to say been somewhat diminished for most of well certainly our lives but 
the vast majority of the current politicians in, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to say again, Westminster and Washington, for the vast majority of those politicians, the nuclear threat has never been as high as, say, in the 1960s. And so I think to a certain extent, because of that lack of experience and that lack of understanding of the risk involved, I think we are seeing, you know, some slightly more loose-lipped responses, obviously in this case particularly from Russia. We've obviously seen comments from other countries as well with various situations not not necessarily even related to the to the conflict in ukraine and i i think for me as well joe biden has obviously he's come out with a line that he seems to use a fair amount from what i've noticed which is perhaps slightly more diplomatic way of of saying things but this whole idea of nothing is off the table now, if you think about that sentence and you think about all the implications of that, that is effectively a more subtle way of making the same threat. Nothing. I, uh, I, I know no, you, no, no, I know I, you I will would, disagree with me on that. I, I, I would not read those statements like that. I, I, but, that is that is a very, very creative reading of what he said. Um. But even even Rishi Sunak here in the UK has has made similar comments. Nothing is off the table, and I don't think they're to referring wonder. to nuclear weapons in no, that I, case I, I, in I, any I, way, I, shape, I'm or not, form. I'm not necessarily suggesting that they are, but the way that it's being phrased could I, probably I, be better. And I think it's as I said, the the lack of understanding of the risks associated with making a sweeping statement such as that. Yeah, I wholeheartedly disagree, disagree that that is the reading. <laughs> and and I, 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 I also disagree that that's what people have read it as. I mean, I, I, it is, in that context, it is far more associated with deliveries of weapon systems, you know. Yeah, and the, and, and, the US and will not restrict... The majority of the situations where that, that phrase is being used. And I, 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 get, I get what you're saying there. I, I just, I really don't think that has any domestic or that I don't think that has implications on broader U.S. strategy. Um, whereas, you know, the, the U.S. has very clear positions on the use of nuclear weapons. Um, you know, Russia dropping a nuclear weapon on Ukraine would not trigger under under current you know current u.s positions would would not trigger that sort of response um and i i i think that that again in line with the use of nuclear weapons general policy is very clear on the fact that you know there is there is no form of of you know just randomly dropping tactical nuclear weapons on mm. you know a conventional battlefield yeah um it's it's definitely yeah i i i don't think it's that <laughs> yeah but uh, as i say obviously the the comment as as i say 
that's what's being made publicly. As you quite rightly pointed out, what, what's being said behind closed doors is obviously going to be rather more specific. And I, I'm not for a moment suggesting that the US has turned around to Russia and said, well, yeah, and we've got nukes too, so just don't do anything stupid. They probably have said something like that, but obviously we will never know the exact content of uh, communication I think between Moscow public... and Washington. Public statements on nuclear weapons have been very clear. Yeah. In 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 where the US stands on their use and and where the US stands on when the US will use nuclear weapons. Yeah. Um and it's 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 nowhere near um but it, where it, it currently it, it brings you know, me it back around to the whole thing of where is the line going to be drawn for what weapons the US and others are prepared to give to Ukraine. Because as I say, ultimately, as we've, as we've mentioned, Russia itself has not really faced a huge amount of physical brunt, if you like, from Ukrainian strikes. There's been a few isolated strikes against airfields, for example, that are supporting Russian efforts in Ukraine. But beyond that, there has not been a huge amount so far. And I think it would be interesting to know what the current US political thought is on supplying Ukraine with weapons that could potentially reach to Moscow or, or at the very least to military installations a little bit closer to Moscow and how that movement would be perceived not, not just in US political circles but also across NATO and, and, and of course in Russia as well. Yeah, and I, I, again, I, I, I think if you look at the at the language that's been put out, it, you know, you can you can read the national defense strategy. It's it's very clear on you know strategic threats and 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 you know how it is. You know, posture. And I'll I'll link it. You know, the, the great thing about the U.S. is that we we post our national defense strategy. It's eighty pages long, and and actually goes fairly deep into detail. And and the twenty twenty two version, um, I mean the 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 main points. And and fortunately, there's also a page where they they highlight you know the the top the top line you know conclusions. Um, but you know, I mean, it it does address Russia as an acute threat. Um, a, a and and the fact that there are, um, you know, threats to the U.S. homeland that are connected to to Russia, um, and I, I I and also of course gray zone activities as well. That's that's a that's a whole other thing um, to to get into. But I I do think that the main address to that um, that's that's you know put in our in our national defense strategy is you know countering that through means of helping allies and and, and it's nice that you guys as you say you, you publish a national defense strategy um i, I have to be honest I, I wouldn't exactly call any of our uh, defense reviews or defense papers in the uk a uh, a strategy as such um, I'm not. I'm not sure there's much strategic about the way we do defence in the UK at the moment, and then 
my 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 disdain for the way that defence is run in the UK at the moment is is well documented on Twitter, so I won't go into that too deeply. But um, yeah. Yeah, if you if you read over the U.S.'s conclusion on its nuclear policy, um, you know, we there there is there is the need to be confident in the ability of our nuclear posture to deter aggression and protect our allies and partners. Um, nuclear weapons will continue to provide a unique deterrent, or will continue to provide unique deterrence effects that no other element of the U.S. military power can replace. Um, and, and, you know, we will maintain a nuclear posture that is responsive to the threats that we face. Everything in U.S. nuclear posture. And, and of course, you know, the U.S. doesn't have a no first use policy, frankly. No one or some do have in theory. But, mm. you know, that, that can go out the window. Um, but one of the, you know, the, the, the big, big focuses of, of you know, us is is defense you know that is that is that is the that is the goal of nuclear deterrence it is it is regional nuclear deterrence and national nuclear deterrence that's the goal we're not <laughs> we're not you know threatening every week that we're gonna you know drop bombs on 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 russia hmm Though Russia does, you know, the opposite. Their 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 language around the use of nuclear weapons is far more or far well, <laughs> far less reserved, uh, um, to to say the least. Um, and and that's that's always that's always a, a a concern. Of course, is is rhetoric rhetoric as well, and what's supported by a general population. Did we have anything else we wanted to touch on? I... On that on that cheery note. <laughs> uh, for, meh. Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. Unless there's anything you can think of off the top of your head. Thinking of the big things, big big picture items. Um, oh, Biden's visit to to Ukraine. Yeah. Which happened a few days before the one year anniversary. Um, there is, I mean, far from, far from the fact that you know a year ago, Putin was basically knocking on the doors of Kiev, and and today, Biden was able to to walk around the city, um, without significant obstacles to, to his presence he was welcomed in by the ukrainians um during during his his quick trip to europe um i i definitely think that you know that's obviously a sign of what the u.s is is prepared to do i think it's, it's the first time a u.s president has ever visited another country actively at war in which the u.s was not you know involved in mm. um which is it's certainly definitely a historic moment. Um, Biden, Biden taking the train to Kiev is, is kind of in line with his, his standard usage of trains in the U S um, <laughs> a man loves Amtrak. Um, but I, I, I definitely think that 
you know, longer term, obviously. Cements U.S. support. Um, the the package came as or or the packages that that sort of spurred, were spurred by that trip um, included some longer term support with additional capabilities, especially unmanned capabilities, um, and and but also a lot of money for for training um, and and basic equipping of of Ukrainian forces, which is also hugely important for them. Mm. Um, NATO member nations have trained a lot of Ukrainian forces. Yeah. Um, which is is hugely important because a they're they're training in an area where they're not getting shot at, um, and and b they're training with with NATO forces who are formerly within Ukraine helping to to advise and train um, Ukrainian forces within Ukraine, but then um, they now have access to them outside of Ukraine. Yeah. Um, yeah. On on that note, that's one of the. That's that's a that, that's been a very big asset for the ukrainians is is just having that extra training yeah and, and the uk obviously hosting a significant portion of that training and having so much support from nato allies in that training um i think there was a photo released by one of the british army accounts this week showing a group of both british and lithuanian army uh instructors teaching the latest intake of ukrainian recruits Yeah, no, I, 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 again, that, that training is important. At the end of the day, that's, that's the base mm. of a military. Um, there are only so many shiny weapons, um, that you can give w without, you know, actually having forces to use them. Yeah. And I suppose, uh, to round up this episode, um, where do you see the situation in Ukraine in six months a year. I think anyone who tries to make that assessment is not talking out of their ass per se, but you know, <laughs> there, no one knows. Um, I, there is definitely a certain level of ambiguity. Um, the Ukrainians certainly, I, I can tell you what's not going to happen. The Ukrainians definitely aren't going to surrender. Um, you know, the, the Russians aren't going to take Kiev. The Russians aren't going to subjugate Ukraine um, as a country. Um, mm. uh, apart from that, the details, you know, from from what happens from here to whenever the war ends, um, you know, I, I can't predict individual details, but I can I can I can generally say that the the Russians will not leave this conflict with with the intentions or with succeeding in the intentions that they entered the conflict with yeah. um you know the the ukrainian state will will persevere the ukrainian people as well indeed indeed and i was going to end on that note but i've just been reminded of Probably one other thing. We oh, come on. I ended it great there. We, we, I'm we going to cut this section, huh? <laughs> um, Iran and nuclear enrichment. Is a, do, do, do you think that's worth mentioning in this episode, or should we wait until next, next time? Two weeks away for the past six years. Sorry, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my only comment on it. Fair enough. All right, we'll, we'll leave it at that then. Um, and uh, so on that note, ladies and gentlemen, um, 
Thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been the OSINT Bunker podcast, and we will hopefully be back with another episode uh, in a reasonable length of time from today. So, uh, catch you all then.